2: So, my daughter never gets to watch grown up TV, but I was like, Well, Mr. Joe Biden is talking tonight. Do you want to watch it? And she really got excited. And so we had her on the couch and she had her little American flag. Oh. But I didn't expect Kamala Harris to be on stage, who's half Indian, like my half Indian daughter, like Mm -hmm. my half Indian, half black niece. It like, I lost it, man. (laughs) Like, I was like drinking my whiskey, trying to look cool, but it's like, I'm (laughs) losing it right now.
1: Did you cry? You cried?
2: I cry all the time, dude. I just yell as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Modern Minorities.
2: This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different.
1: I'm Sharon Lee Toney, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. I got some good news yesterday.
1: (laughs) I did too. What'd you hear? (laughs) That our democracy
2: isn't dying
1: yet. (laughs) So it's so It's so satisfying in such a nice way, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And so we've done one episode with just you and me, doom and gloom, Mm
1: -hmm. but
2: we got a good result. So hey, Rajiv.
0: Hey, Raman and Sharon.
1: How you feeling? We save you for the good ones. When it's doom and gloom, we don't want the comedians around, but when we're happy,
0: (laughs) I tell you what, I am honored to be back because my mood is greatly improved. Scale of one to 10. It's a 10.
1: 10.
0: Yeah, I'm about as happy as you could get, I think, or as I can get. Yeah.
1: That's great. I have a feeling that Roman's still a little skeptical. Yeah, no, I'm an eight because, I don't know, man,
2: I got to wait till November 20th and 45 is on Marine One. (laughs) January 20th.
1: January 20th.
2: Yeah, what did I say?
1: You said November. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm taking it day by day. I wish it could be that soon, you know? I wish we would be like, okay, see you later. I actually <laughs> had a dream about that. I So
2: the night of the election, I went to bed and I wasn't checking my phone. I checked it before I went to bed and I had a dream that we got it and he just kind of shuffled out like in a really sketchy way with his lawyer and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's clearly a dream scenario.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's... <laughs> we're just can we just be open with opinions now because we know the result i was going through my twitter feed yesterday and i saw all of joe's and kamala's amazing positive celebratory incredible tweets super positive about being the president for everyone despite really whoever you voted for just really bringing everybody together and then i don't follow donald trump but i was just curious to know what his response was and all of his tweets were like, I still won. Like, I got 71 million votes and we're going to do a recount. And I'm like, he's acting like a two-year-old who's been asked to leave a candy shop or something. Like, literally, he was throwing a tantrum on social media.
2: Yeah. So where were you when you found out, Sharon?
1: I was... How did I find out? I was in my living room and... Was it my sister who texted me? I got a text. I, I think my sister texted me like the CNN alert that appeared on her phone. So it's a screenshot of that, and then I immediately got a text from Rajiv. <laughs> That's how I, I was like, wait a second, you guys, you guys were involved, right? So my sister sent me CNN screenshot, and I barely responded to that. And then Rajiv, you texted me and Raman, and so you immediately followed that.
0: I'm so proud to be right in the mix there. That's so cool. (laughs) A lot of messages flying around yesterday. Yeah. How'd you find out, Rajiv? The short answer to that is Hersha, my wife, in the other room. But that said, I knew Friday night. That's when I started celebrating. I started drinking because I was looking at 538. I was looking at the numbers and I was looking at any potential backsplash of a red wave to the blue wave. And I said, we got it. They're just not calling it yet. They're not calling it yet. But it's done. And so Friday night, when I went to bed, is where I was already feeling like, okay, this is, this is, I was like in the backseat of the roller coaster on the beast at Kings Island or really any roller coaster where when you sit in the backseat, you feel the momentum before you go over the hill. And when you're in the yeah. front seat, you don't feel it until you're a third of the way down the hill. So yeah. I feel like since I was in the backseat, I felt it before most people did. Yeah. I've been like cautiously waiting, just
2: hitting refresh on Google, looking at Nevada's percent return. Right. But at the same time, I was just holding my breath. And I think Crooked sent a very optimistic email on Friday night. Mm-hmm. I think I sent it to you, Rajiv. And, you did. But I just, I thought nothing of it. I didn't want to think anything of it. I just wanted to get through the weekend and have a good weekend because <laughs> my life was going to be ruined on Monday, maybe. I just didn't know. <laughs> and we were at the Bronx Botanical Gardens with another set of friends with kids. You know, nice outdoor setting. Everyone's wearing a mask responsibly in New York City. And uh, we we're outdoors and the friend we were with, the wife came walking back and you could tell there's a little bit of something changed in the air mm-hmm. in this kind of very public setting. And it was just a very beautiful moment out in nature with friends, <laughs> with people wearing masks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like,
1: was there like celebrating at the Bronx? Zoo? I, I, know there, I, mean, I the don't botanical
2: You could just tell like there was a spring in the step. Like we were walking by people and I, the whole day people are checking their phones and it was more mm-hmm. than the obnoxious everyone checking their phones all the time. You could tell people were like hitting refresh all day while we were walking around. And mm. when it happened, you could tell like you saw smiles with, I guess you no know, one, people had masks on, but you could just tell, you could just yeah. tell people yeah. were a little happier. And it was just a Better. feeling of relief.
1: Well, I really miss living in New York for moments like these because mm-hmm. I, a lot of my friends posted what was going on in the streets in Brooklyn and yeah. in Manhattan and just people standing up on cars and honking horns and dancing in the street and waving flags and just so, so happy. And that's why I was asking if anything was happening in the Bronx, because here in my little suburban area in LA, it was, it felt like the air changed, but actually there was no noise. So I think it was just my own mindset that changed. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of my neighbors that have Biden and Harris, yard signs. They were standing. Like My kids and I ended up going for frozen yogurt to celebrate because I thought maybe if we went to like the main drag, there'd be something more happening. And people that were on their porches and stuff, we waved and and smiled. But it it didn't feel as big of a deal as I would imagine it felt in major urban areas. I
2: think because it was such a long burn.
1: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was the part in Moneyball the 2011 movie about baseball with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. And it's the gift that I sent out to to you two and to a lot of people. There's a part where they're talking about firing players. And Brad Pitt says to Jonah Hill's character, well, you know, you're going to have to learn how to fire players. But Jonah Hill's protesting He's like, no, this is stupid. I'm never going to have to do this. He's like, fire me. He's like, And then he goes through this whole rigmarole. And Brad Pitt's like, what are you talking about? He goes, I don't know. This is stupid. I'm never going to have to do this. He goes, all you do is you sit down and you say, you've been traded to the Detroit Tigers. The traveling secretary will take care of it. What, that's it? He goes, yes, these are professional ball players. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather get shot in the head once or shot five times in the chest and bleed out? And Joe DeHill goes, are those my only two options? <laughs> it's probably the funniest part in the movie. But it's kind of like this. In a way, it sucks for the winners because it is such a delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. But then you think about how painful it is for the losers, and that makes me so happy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have to
2: heal, Rajiv. Rajiv. That, that, that's a later question, but come on. <laughs> that
1: that burns.
2: <laughs> you know, so last night, I have my comic book podcast, Quarantine Comics with Ryan, mm-hmm. And we already had a scheduled episode, right? We do it every weekend, alternating Saturday, Sundays. And I got a text from my mom around dinner time saying Biden's talking at seven, which was seven Central, eight Eastern. So I texted Ryan. I was like, I kind of want to watch this. I kind of need to watch this. Can we kick back our recording? And of course, as with all political speeches, it was delayed by like 30, 40 minutes. But my daughter has been asking about the presidency because at daycare, they're doing a little mock election with a bunny versus an elephant. Bunny won, by the way, in case anyone was tracking that. But she's been asking about Joe Biden and Donald Trump because the kids are talking and she's four, right? I I didn't think she was as aware, but she's asking about these people. And then mom texted me about the thing. And, you know, memories start to form around three or four. I I have a good sample size. Now I've asked 40 or 50 people that question. But I was like, oh, this is a moment. Like, so my daughter never gets to watch grown up TV. She gets to watch her videos at like five, right? Or on the weekends, first thing in the morning. But I was like, Mr. Joe Biden is talking tonight. Do you want to watch it? And she really got excited. And so we had her on the couch and she had her little American flag. Oh, and this is where it gets worse, Sharon, get ready. But like, I didn't know Kamala Harris was going to be opening. Mm-hmm. And she did. And you know, look, Ryan and I were talking about this. We delayed our comic book podcast, but later on he was like, I'm really glad it was a boring speech. And that's worth saying there were there was rhetoric and but it was just kind of the typical speech you expect. Yeah. But I didn't expect Kamala Harris to be on stage, who's half Indian, like my half Indian daughter, like mm-hmm. my half Indian, half black niece. It like I lost it, man. <laughs> like I was like drinking my whiskey, trying to look cool, but it was like I'm <laughs> losing it right now. <laughs>
1: Did you cry? You cried?
2: I cry all the time, dude. I just yell as well. But (laughs) it just, and it's, there's the representation thing, but it's just like, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. The last four years have been more stressful because I have a kid. Like, and I try to be hopeful. And it's just like, I didn't realize how much, and we, I, it's not PTSD, but like how much mental anguish i'd been going through until that moment when she started talking yeah yeah it was last night was interesting yeah did you guys watch the speech
1: i didn't watch it oh go ahead rajiv so you've got more information than i do
0: i did watch it yeah i i watched it in its entirety hersha and i did and hersha cried I mean, I did a post about this and, and I always say to Hersha, my posts that get the most likes always feature you. And it's true. And when when Joey Biden's mentioned that he was Jill's husband, that's how I signed my post because I got it has over 400 likes. And I looked over and Hersha is crying. And it's not because I cooked dinner. It's because <laughs> she, you know, I, I looked at her and I said, I, I mean, are you, you're crying for the reason I, you know, and she goes, yeah, I mean, just, and I said, no, you don't have to say anything. I just want to make sure you're okay. And these are tears of joy. And she goes, they are. And You know, I mean, not much else had to be said. It's just... We just held each other and she saw what it was like to have a woman of color speaking up there. And Brumman, to your point that she opened, she came out and she gave a really good speech. It wasn't just that she gave a placeholder of a speech. I mean, I agree that Joey Biden's was a little bit more boring. And that's what I've been saying. in My A to Z series M was make politics boring again. And the whole idea is making things more boring. But hers wasn't boring. I thought hers had all the rhetorical points, but it really hit a lot of the high notes as well. And to see my wife cry sitting right next to me, that, that really brought it home. And I, I teared up as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, something I'm hoping for, and we saw this with Obama-Biden, is unlike a lot of presidents, right? Be it Reagan and Bush, be it Clinton and Gore, vice presidents typically are in non-active backseat position. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was absolutely not the case with Cheney. Cheney was in a front seat position, but (laughs) terrible. But Biden was a very active vice president, and he was a partner in the room, and that's kind of what Biden said about Harris. So during the primary season, which feels like an eternity ago, mm-hmm. I had my I want Kamala moment. I had my I want Warren moment before we kind of all coalesced around Biden, which I never got to him, to be very mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. But I saw her as presidential and the kind of president I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, watching her on stages, I mean, it's very much a likelihood For a bunch of different reasons and a bunch of different scenarios that... She yeah. will one day be our president. Yeah. And God, that felt good. Just like, she's, I mean, her, her speech
1: was more powerful, I, it was necessary. She, yeah. She shines in a way that's just so unique. Right. I didn't watch the speech live, but I rely on everybody else to give me the highlights. So I've definitely seen all the, the retweets and the reposts and the, the core snippets of video that all of the media outlets have posted. And I was watching those and I was just thinking, she's like the equivalent of like the next Oprah or something. Mm. Like she's beyond Michelle my husband and I were talking about that today too, like the difference between Kamala versus Michelle Obama. Hmm. And I was like, well, the difference I think is that Michelle Obama was the first lady. And so, mm-hmm. and we kind of got into this gender thing. I was like, she was the wife. And he's like, yeah, but Kamala's a wife too. I'm like, yeah, but No, the her is- husband's no. the husband. Well, that was my point. Right. Hmm. I was like, Barack was the candidate. So he's the guy that's literally running. Like you you fall in love with him. And then it just so happened that Michelle was super awesome, too. So everyone loves her as well. Not that she's less powerful and not that she's not as talented or as intelligent. I was like, Kamala, though, she's driving this. She's the candidate. She was a senator. She was the one that's putting herself out mm-hmm. there. And she is a wife and all of that stuff. It's not about like whether or not someone's married or single, but she's in a very different role than any other woman we've ever seen in American politics anyway. And it was – as a woman watching that, it's like yeah. – female leadership, I think, is being redefined and in a really public way. It's something that women have always talked about, and it's something that women's research institutes and gender studies have always really honed in on just different styles when it comes to gender. And I think having Kamala in this very uh, powerful and front-facing position now is bringing that to light. So I'm excited.
2: I've had a mixed relationship with Hillary Clinton over the years, and to, to compare the two... Hillary Clinton became real when she ran for Senate for me. It's not that she wasn't any less real, but to your point, she was a first lady and she was an mm-hmm. accomplished lawyer, but she, for her, the sake of her husband's career, she took a backseat. when Rajiv and I were at P&G. If you were in a relationship with a PNGer, mm-hmm. especially if you were like starting to live together or get married, you had to say whose career took priority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of P&G couples who are still there, like on their work plan. They have to write that, right? And Kamala not so much i mean and again when hillary stopped being first lady and ran for senate then it was like game on ran for senate ran for president secretary mm-hmm. of state totally a boss right most qualified mm-hmm. person to ever run for the office
0: mm-hmm.
2: in my opinion and now it's not to say one is more qualified than the other but like kamala never took a back seat for a husband she's always right. been in the game mm-hmm. and that's just she's a badass and i kind of need a badass i'll flip that though I wonder how the other side feels right now, right? Like as bad as we felt when Trump was elected, that's the empathy I tried to put on in that moment at the very beginning of Trump's presidency was, wow, that's probably how the other side felt when the black Kenyan Muslim, even though he was Mm -hmm. Urkel, right? Even though he was boring. Mm -hmm. So how do they feel now? That's maybe that's why you need a boring white guy at the top of the ticket. And I want boring, but like, Mm -hmm. are they scared? You know, like I, there was a New Yorker cover when Barack and Michelle did the fist bump, I think, at one of the mm-hmm. conventions. And the cover of the New Yorker, complete satire, was them like in Islamic mm-hmm. garb fist bumping mm-hmm. <laughs> with machine guns. Right. And it, it was basically saying this is literally like the dressed up fear that America has. And does that exist? Or will people come to know her and come to love her and like her and respect her? Or are we going to see more of the same bullshit that we did when the black guy was president?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we're already seeing that. I mean, sadly, we're seeing the blowback and emails I've received from older white men who are like, yep, you can see that look in her eyes that she's going to try to take it from Joe. And I'm like, it's Mm -hmm. so, I don't know if racism uh, is what I hear in that, but I hear sexism in that for sure. And paranoia and everything else. Look, here's the way that I react to it. And I've been pretty outspoken on social media about not gloating, right? But I'm also saying, I don't want to gloat. Dear God, grant me the power not to gloat. But, guys, don't piss in our soup. Don't piss in our soup. (laughs) Don't pull this BS that you did when Obama won. To your point, Rahman, getting all Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, at the time minority leader, getting together and saying... Number one priority is making him a one-term president.
2: Not rescuing the economy, not anything.
0: Right. And they blocked every single thing that he did. And so don't piss in our soup. And if you're going to litigate this thing in courts and you're going to call out fraud and you're going to try to submit a competing slate of electors, and if you're going to try to get faithless electors, I mean, Donald Trump's faithless in all of his marriages, why not the electors? Then you're <laughs> going to drive us to a point where... You're gonna make us spike the football. Don't make me spike the football. Okay. We're trying to be gracious to to assholes who weren't gracious to us. We're trying to be nice to sons of bitches who haven't been nice to us. We're trying to show them that gratitude and that grace. And I'm I'm on a knife's edge. And Ruman, you know me well enough where I mentioned this on the, on the pre where I said I'm a really happy drunk, and you go, yeah, but you, you can also be a pretty angry drunk. And I go, yeah, that that's true. Those are the two sides of my personality. It is almost an incredible Hulk thing. And there there's a side of me. I am a really nice guy, and I'm a friendly guy, and I'm a kind person. Yes, all those things are true. And yet, there's this rage that burns deep within me that comes out every you know few minutes. And so <laughs> I, think that, I think that there's a lot this of people are peeing in your super jeep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just make me be the nice guy, right? Just don't don't you wouldn't piss, like you me not. when I'm angry, yeah, exactly. like have some grace, and we'll extend the same. I think that we're trying to do the same because this is unsustainable to keep just beating the crap out of the other side. it's unsustainable. We have to figure out a way to come together, and it's not going to be easy.
1: I saw a letter that Bush wrote to, to Bill Clinton when mm-hmm. he was entering office. Have you guys seen this yet? Yeah. Every president leaves a letter. Yep. It's Mm -hmm. circulating around the internet now, but it was written and it was so gracious and it was so supportive. And he opens it up by saying, four years ago, I walked into this office with a sense of awe and inspiration. And I'm sure you'll feel the same way as you also sit here. And he talks about how during his own presidency, he's had challenges with people not believing in him. And he tells President Clinton to not let anyone get in the way and throw him off track with any negativity. So it's essentially a note of congratulations. It's also a note of mentorship. It's a note of support. And it's a very welcoming note. And he ends it with, I'm rallying for you and I'm rooting for you. And, and he signs off and it's the official baton that he's passing forward. And I read that and that was written in 1993, which... Isn't too long ago. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a while ago, but it's not super long ago. And I compare that to where we are now, with even the way we are talking on this call about anyone who isn't sharing the same party values as we are. And I, I just wonder, how did we get so far off track that we we truly do deeply feel that way towards each other?
2: Well, it became politics became sport. When yeah. did it start? I can't. Again, it's probably. I think it's a false correlation, but it's when I started to become politically aware. I think the impeachment of Bill Clinton, the Newt Gingrich era, was the beginning of politics as sport. I mean, there's probably some correlation to the founding of Fox News and Rupert Murdoch kind of (laughs) making a bigger deal in this country. But, I mean, and that letter exists, Sharon. I would would advise every reader – there's actually a screenshot of like all five letters from the last five transitions, including Obama's to Trump. And Mm -hmm. Rajiv, this is something you and I fundamentally argued about at the very beginning of after Trump won and maybe before his inauguration. A lot of us on the left were like, well, he's our president and we hope he'll rise to the occasion. He has Mm -hmm. to. We have to. I have to be hopeful. I have a kid. And he clearly disappointed all of us because let's be clear. That letter is not going to get written this time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And – No, I just. um, Maybe he'll tweet it. He'll tweet it. He'll tweet it. But I just want this to be an aberration. A lot of norms have been broken, but that doesn't mean precedents have been set, right? There will be a Republican eventually. And I hope the note that the Democrat writes to the Republican is as cordial. There will be another Democrat after that. And I hope the note the Republican writes to the Democrat. You know, it's just like uh, my fear. My genuine fear, Trump was never the root cause. He was a symptom, but he exacerbated mm-hmm. the disease. Correct. And my fear is, is Trumpism here to stay? Is that the modern fascism, the reality TV, jingoistic, hyper-nationalist, populist, quote, tweet lying? I remember when none of us thought Trump was going to win back in the day uh, when he ran against Clinton. Someone at the startup I was at said, yeah, but you know what? He's not going to win. But there's a much smarter Republican waiting in the wings taking notes. Mm. You know, the, the argument was Trump is too stupid to take this all the way. And so there's going there's someone taking notes right now on both sides of this kind of methodology. And the methodology is poison. I don't know.
0: Well, I'll say two things to that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very, very confident in both of these points. And so there are times where I'll throw things against the wall. Most of the time I try to call it out if I'm doing that. But I, I'll say I'm, I'm very confident about both of these. And I'm open you to- You say the best things. You say the best I, things. I've got, I, I have the best like words. Like peeing in my soup.
1: That's a new uh, one. I'm going to start using that. Stop peeing I, in my soup.
0: I'm very, I'm very open to, to pushback on these because I'm testing them out. But okay. Without Mozart, there's no Requiem. Okay, and the Requiem isn't finished because he died while he was composing it. Sorry for ruining that part of Amadeus. But there are things that would not exist if it weren't for one person. Without Prince, there aren't Prince's albums. There's no Purple Rain. Without Roger Waters, there is no The Wall by Pink Floyd. So it's amazing to me in history that these things really come down to one person. And if that person doesn't exist under the right circumstances, look, Michael Jordan might not be the greatest basketball player in the world. I mean, right now, obviously, LeBron James is, but there might be a kid somewhere who just never picked up a basketball that would have been much better than Michael Jordan. He just wasn't born under the right circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So Donald Trump is a unique threat There is nobody in my show. This is what I talked about. The whole first scene was about my obsession with Donald Trump throughout the 80s. And the idea that there was this larger than life figure that then decided to go into politics. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger might have been able to. So again, born under the right circumstances. But even Arnold doesn't quite possess that same, I don't want to say charm or charisma, but that sort of je ne sais quoi that Donald Trump does. That's one point. So I don't think there's another person okay, waiting. Wait, I want to jump in on that, though. Okay. Um, I don't think there's another person
2: waiting in the way. I, I, so I don't think – look, if Hitler never lived, mm-hmm. someone else would have come along in Western Europe within a 50-year time frame for something like that to happen. It is the right person or the wrong person at the wrong time or right person. These things are going to – if the the caveman who invented fire didn't do it. Another caveman somewhere within 100 or 1,000 years would have done it. Mm-hmm. All of the things, all the conditions were there, the fires in California. Mm-hmm. A random lightning strike is going to cause it. You just don't know when it is. So sure. if not Trump, it could have been someone else, give or take a decade. I, I've gone down the path, though, of like, uh, you know, you and I, I think you and I, my sister and I, my then girlfriend, now wife and I, argued about Hillary versus Obama back in those primaries because I right. was all on Team Obama. And I, I've done that math like, Wow. What if Clinton had just won the primary and won the election? Then, you know, maybe the sexism versus race would have been different. But like, you know, Trump was a reaction to Obama and all these things like you can play that game, but these things would have happened. Mm-hmm. I'm confident like Trump is a symptom. He is not the cause. Mm-hmm. It was just a very, <laughs> a really bad rash instead of a mild sure. one. Sure. Anyway, so the second point, though, what is it, Rajiv?
0: My second point, which is... <sighs> Wealth inequality, man, you know, we've talked about this, and it's just insane to me that people will not largely, many will, largely will not acknowledge it as the Gordian knot. I mean, these things are bound to happen continually and continually and over and over, and you're right about Newt Gingrich and Rupert Murdoch, and I want to make a list of the five people that I think are most likely to blame for the collapse of the American empire, which I think is still collapsing, but... The problem is not so much that the people at the top have too much. I'm a capitalist, so that's not the way I look at it. The way I look Mm -hmm. at it is the other side of it. The people at the bottom don't have enough. And so therefore, where do you go? You can either increase the pie or you can divide it up differently. Well, let's do both. But dude, you look at the people at the top, the wealthy, the corporates, all the multinationals, et cetera, how much money they've taken out of the system and left so many other people with so little. It's been such a blowout that we are looking for blame. And the right in most countries will tend to blame People of color, women, minorities, Jews, blacks, etc. The same old story. And people on the left will tend to blame the wealthy. But guess what? And this is why when you say feel bad for Trump supporters, I again, go back and forth between do I? Because we're still correct. And when I have this conversation with people, like no, but what if you're wrong? I'm like, I know your question. I get it on a, <laughs> on an existential level. But we're not wrong. The problem is wealth inequality has overtaken. Even climate change is probably the most dire problem facing our societies, and I say societies plural. And until we solve that, screw people who think that we shouldn't redistribute wealth. I'm sorry. Well, no, but, the, but that means the, the, can, the conditions,
2: the, the firewood, the tinder is ready to be ignited. All, all you need is a populace to kind of pull people into kind of tendencies. Look at the pandemic. The common Republican argument, never mind like this mask takes away my liberty, was I'd rather have dead people than my kids being poor. That was literally like, and I get it. It's like people were working, living paycheck to paycheck. There was no safety net. They would rather go out and risk their life to go back to work than, and so yeah, even the the giant alien from the sky, the pandemic, was not as scary. The economy, people's jobs, people's livelihoods, because people are living you know, it's easy for all of us with our white collar jobs and our more or less Zoom friendly work remote lifestyle to make do. And again, Rajiv, I know mm-hmm. in the entertainment space, it's hurting more, but, you know, hear, hear me out. But it's like, you're not mm-hmm. the guy living paycheck to paycheck, I, you know? So yeah. that's to your point. Yeah. It's, the problem is exacerbated it, until we solve this and the problem's only getting worse. There could be another Trump mm-hmm. if we don't, if so, I want to bring to next steps, like In order for Biden and Harris to actually have a chance to aggressively put us back on track, we need the Senate. And we didn't Mm -hmm. get the Senate. There's a runoff in Georgia in January. Mm -hmm. January 5th. I've been thinking about this a lot. And Rajiv, I remember you, me, and Drew went out to get pizza during the primary. And we're like, you know what? Screw it. We should all just move to Wisconsin Mm and Michigan and just work from there. I feel like it's if we want this thing to get better, we have to get Georgia. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like, because there's a runoff and mm-hmm. we don't get the Senate if we don't get Georgia. Yeah, both of them. Both, right, both seats. And it's like, I I, I want people to, how as a country do we all mobilize on Georgia on the left?
0: <clears throat> That's what we're going to do. I've already been contacted to do, a program for it that interviewed John Ossoff. And, and I don't think we had... No, we did have Warnock. We had the, the uh, Reverend as well. Look, we're going to be pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into this. And so is the other side. And it's going to be a really heavy lift. I mean, there's a chance, very small chance we get Alaska Senate seat. There's a better chance, but still not great chance that we defeat Tom Tillis with Cunningham in North Carolina assuming neither of those come true, then yes, January 5th, 2021 is ground zero for the Senate. I don't think we're going to get it. Honestly, again, like it's a very heavy lift, but we got to try. We have to do everything we can do to look things up, to figure out how to get involved, ping our friends who are in Atlanta and the greater Georgia area. Raman, you're from the state next to it, right? So anything we can do, it's, it's really going to come down to that. It's going to make a massive difference.
1: And what are things that we can do?
0: Well, if you look at what happened in Texas, you
2: know, Beto O'Rourke really mobilized the hell out of people. Millions of calls. You can, well, one, you can donate money. You can donate time. You can make phone calls. It's again, and the way to think about it is if we get two democratic senators in Georgia, we flip the Senate. Biden and Harris's job is so much easier. If we don't get Georgia, Mitch McConnell will be the obstructionist that he was for Obama. Mm-hmm. full stop. And mm-hmm. he's got basically a two-year window to run the clock till the midterms. And we know he can do it. We know he's great at doing it. And look, other you know the there's a lot of places you can support. I know Crooked Media has their Get Mitch or Die Trying fund. They're pouring it all into Georgia. Stacey Abrams, fair fight. I'm assuming she's got a lot of action there. Donate money, donate time. Mm-hmm. We should all be adopting Georgia as a state and thinking about it. And- I doubt there's enough time for us to all move down there and go vote. That was the original (laughs) joke that Drew, Rajiv, and I were talking about. But yeah, just how do we do it? I don't know. We have to figure it out, though, because it's we stopped the bleeding, right? Mm -hmm. In, In theory, Biden will be here, but it's like. We have to make systemic changes. Otherwise, wealth inequality is just going to keep getting worse. One side doesn't care about it. And I would argue the reason the Democrats didn't perform as well with Blacks and Latinos specifically is because they are the party for them, but they took them for granted, and they weren't Mm -hmm. making bold enough
0: overtures Mm -hmm. to them. Mm I would agree with all of that. And I would just say that it's marketing, it's packaging. It's the issue that I go through a lot as a comic. I mean, what is my way in, right? Raman, we used to talk about this at the page. You know, what is the way in? How do you talk to the consumer? How do you start the conversation? And I think that the problem that progressives have is we just suck at marketing. This has been said ad nauseum, ad infinitum, but it's true. And I was one of the first people to say it, not the first. Many other people have said it smarter than I have said it. But this is the issue. That we can go forward with progressive solutions, but the way that we speak about them and the way that we engage with people, it, you know, I read something about like, it's amazing what, what people will accept if they feel heard, right? It's amazing what people will accept if they feel heard. If, you just hear them out. This happens. This happens in real life when you're making plans or when you're trying to convince your spouse or your friends or whatever to do something. As long as people felt like, okay, you know what? I threw my hat in the ring. Like, all right. I mean, I guess my idea was shot down. I wanted to do that. But the group decided to do something else. All right. I'm on board. We weighed the merits of it. I'm a little resentful. I'm a little upset. But you know what? That doesn't mean I won't go along. I'll still help. And I think that's where we have to figure out how do we talk to people. We, we can't just go right off. I mean, I understand there aren't a lot of people in Wyoming, but I would have loved to have seen Biden go down to Alabama during the campaign. I understand that's precious time away. I understand that. But just invest three hours and just go to Birmingham, just go to Montgomery, just go there and have the conversation they have in The Wire where Tom Corchetti is running for mayor and he sits down with the black folks who he knows they aren't going to vote for him, but. The conversation they have is great because they acknowledge that it's like, thank you for sitting down and having the conversation, just that we're still not going to vote for you, but we're not going to resent you either.
1: And so Rajiv, how do we start this process of bringing things back together and, and how do we heal?
0: It's, it's, it's tough. It it really is. I, I think a lot of this does, to some extent, depend on the way the other side reacts. But we can't have that attitude, maybe. Maybe it has to be that we have to just keep making overtures. We have to just keep trying and gotta keep on loving you. I'm the worst <laughs> singer of all time. It never stops me. But I would just say that we have to go forward and just sh- defeat hate with love. We have to just sit down and keep keep getting punched in the face and Lucy with the football, Charlie Brown, and just fall on her ass and fall on her ass and fall on her, her ass and just show that persistence. Gandhi, right? Civil disobedience. Just take the punches until finally, wh- wh- what's the old quote? First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then you win.
1: This sounds so painful, though.
2: <laughs> but, I mean, look at the civil rights movement. I'm sorry. It is. It's... This shit ain't easy. And I think every generation, we've gotten comfortable. Mm-hmm. We've gotten yeah. comfortable. And I think the last four years, I would hope, has made a lot of us really uncomfortable. And we were so close to a descent into just really terrible shit if he got another four years. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely believe there's someone else waiting in the wings to do just as many mm-hmm. bad things. And if we don't put the systemic things in place, Trump wrote in on people being upset and people feeling ignored. Mm-hmm. And if we don't solve that, because mm-hmm. the other side, I'm sorry, they don't want to solve this. I, mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm being a little jingoistic, but it's like mm-hmm. they're happy for the frog to boil in the water. Right. I'm not. And I don't know what sacrifices that means we have to make or what different things we have to do but we're not out of the woods yet and i'm not just talking about it's not january 20th or whatever right it's the next 2 to 4 years are not going to be easy and we could slide back if, the, if this election this one election has taught me anything it's like we're not as far as i want us to be right
1: yeah
0: right yeah we it's we true. we rock at complacency
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah it's so easy <laughs>
0: Had. Yeah. Right. What do they say? Uh, l- hard work pays off later, but laziness pays off now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote of the episode. Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> but on a positive note, what I have learned, as, as hokey and cheesy as this may sound, is that every vote does matter. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's action, even if it seems small, and if you feel like you're just one person, does count in, mm-hmm. in the larger context of things. And I think that does give me hope. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: All right. Well, Rajiv, thanks for coming back. And I hope we get to have a lot more conversations as we coast into a new era.
0: I hear you. I'm honored to return. And I'm glad that I was in uh, a non-fetal position to do so. (laughs) I am too. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to see that, dude. No.
1: (laughs) Now, here's a preview of our next episode.
2: The small things add up every single day, like being in a room where you have prepared materials for the entire meeting and everyone
1: else is getting eye contact except for you. Standing around with a number of executives and everyone who you've not yet met assumes that you are an assistant or a junior team member. It's the small things that break down your confidence every single day.
2: That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
1: We'll talk to you soon.